Hi, everyone, and welcome. You are listening to Speeching It Real, a podcast where I interview future and current speech-language pathologists. Here, you can learn all about what it's like to get started in the field, see how paths and interests change, and connect with people going through the same things you are. I am your host, Chris Ubieta, and I am currently a second-year grad student at CU Boulder. Quick disclaimer, all statements and opinions on this podcast are not reflections of the organizations or schools associated with the speakers. Each person's words reflect their own opinions, including my own. Today, I'm joined by Sam, a grad student at Stony Brook University. On this episode, she shares some really cool and unique experiences that she has encountered along her journey including working in a setting during her clinical rotations with a focus on Huntington's disease. I'm so happy to be getting back into interviewing grad students, so let's get right into it. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Speeching It Real. Today I'm joined by Sam, a grad student, which I'm very excited about. Hi, Sam. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good. How are you feeling? I know you said it was your first podcast before we got on. Feeling good. I feel like our little chat before my nerves went away. So totally. I am very excited to have you on. I love having grad students on. I also said this offline, but this is why I started this to really get to know the grad experience. It kind of shifted a little bit, but this is really the core. I love getting back into it. So thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, so again, I'm Sam. I'm a first year speech language pathology graduate student. I go to Stony Brook University. My undergrad experience was a little different. I actually majored in linguistics because Stony Brook didn't have a communication sciences disorders major or speech language pathology major. So a lot of the anatomy and stuff this year was kind of not a refresher. It was kind of me learning it all for the first time. Oh, yeah. Um, I love using Canva. I feel like it's like my whole personality is just like making stuff on Canva. I am the social media rep for my initial board too. So I like make all the posts on Canva. Love that. So do you use Canva in like all of your assignments whenever you get the opportunity to? Oh yeah. Like whenever we have to make like infographics or slideshows, I'm like, let me take point on this. Like I just love using it. Oh my gosh. I know. I had a few friends in my cohort that were like that too. They were just like Canva every day, all day, all assignments. We love that. It's great. Do you use it to make like therapy materials too for your clients? Oh, a hundred percent. Like, especially in simulations. Like I feel like I went crazy. I print out like a million things just like (laughs) all the time. I love it. I love it. That's so fun. So one more question before we get into the nitty gritty. Why did you decide to pursue a degree in speech? So honestly, going into college, I had no idea that I was going to end up pursuing a degree in speech. I went in on like a pre-PA path and I hated chemistry and I was just like really lost and the pandemic hit. It was my freshman year. So I knew I wanted to change my major. And during the pandemic, I was like on TikTok a lot. And I forget the username, but this girl's father had a stroke and she would post videos of him rehabbing how to say like, I love you to her. And like, it was just so touching that like that moment I was like, oh my God, I want to be the person that like helps people like regain that ability. Yeah, that's so sweet. That is like the most unique story I've heard so far. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, TikTok. We love that. Literally. (laughs) So what year are you in now? So this is my first year of grad school. So I just finished my second semester. Awesome. Were you, did you have to do, since you said your undergrad was in linguistics, did you have to do like a bridge program? Um, No, we just had prereqs. Luckily, Stony Brook offers a lot of the prereq classes like in the summers. So I knew about it early enough that I took them all and I was ready to go right as the program started. I love that for you. I had to do a a post-bac. Oh, really? Yeah. But it was fine. I actually really loved that. And I felt like the anatomy component I had because of that. Yeah. So you're in your second semester. You're about to start your second semester. I'm about to start my third. So we started literally three days after I graduated undergrad. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, because I'm I'm doing a track that lets me get my teaching certification, too. Oh, because they Just need that in New York, right? To work with kids or in a private. Yeah, in New York, you have to have it to work with children ages three to 21 that have an IEP. Got it. So you're doing that simultaneously and you started that then in the summer. 
Yeah. So it was like the three teaching courses that we needed, we took in the summer. So we got that out of the way. And now all I have to do really is the workshops and take my EAS exam and I'll have an externship at a school and I'll be good. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, that is really fast to go straight from undergrad into grad school. Did you feel like, are you feeling burnt out yet? <laughs> um, Definitely towards the end of the first semester. I feel like that time after Thanksgiving up until break, like you never really get back into it. But right now I feel like I'm kind of ready to go back. We've had over a month off and I feel like I just need like structure <laughs> of like classes and stuff. So I'm ready to go back. I felt exactly the same way after my first semester. I was like, I need structure again. It was way too, like in a way the break felt so long that I felt like I was so nervous. I wasn't going to be able to jump back into it. How are you feeling about that? Like, do you feel a little nervous? Where are you at? Um, I'm definitely a little nervous. I feel like I've just been like sitting at home doing nothing. Like my brain's been off for the past month. So like I'm scared like the first week is going to be me like scrambling to turn it back on because we kind of jump right back into everything. Yeah. What classes are you taking this semester? Um, I'm so excited this semester. We have adult dysphagia. We have neuromotor speech disorders, seminar and medical SLP, early intervention, and I think just like my other clinical courses, like my clinical seminars. Do you guys first, do you have a dysphagia course separate for children? Um, I'm actually not too sure. I don't think we do though. Okay. So is it just like an adult? It's primarily adult dysphagia. And then if you, they might touch on children a little bit, but it's not like the primary. Yeah. Like in my anatomy class last semester, we kind of touched on um, just like dysphagia as a whole so like this one's just gonna like kind of like hone in more on just adult dysphagia I think awesome do you know if you're gonna get the MBS IMP um not through the course I think definitely eventually like that's my goal just because like that's the population that I kind of want to work in like I really want to do that that's like my area of interest okay but I don't think I get it through my program okay okay cool well I think you can just like sign up online I think you have like a student discount I know we had to do it through our class oh Um, cool and I feel like it was like $50, but I, I don't really remember super well. But dysphagia is a fun course. And you said you have, was it upper, I mean, neuromotor, motor speech? Yes. Yeah, yeah, neuromotor. <laughs> oh, you guys call it neuromotor. Okay, I was like, ours is like motor speech. So I was I didn't want to chalk, mess that up. Um, are you excited about that? It sounds like you have an adult heavy semester. Yeah, which I'm really excited about. I'm definitely leaning more towards adult stuff anyways. So okay. I feel like learning about that's really cool. And I like love the professor that we have for it. So I'm really excited for it. That's great. Did you, were you always leaning towards adults or did that kind of just start happening while you were in grad school? So I've always been leaning more towards adults. Like I said, I watched that video of like the stroke, but then my great grandma also had like Alzheimer's. So I like was really like almost like well-versed in that. So like I like felt comfortable with that population. Mm-hmm. I came to it with an open mind though, because Stony Brook like obviously integrates like both adult and child experiences. But even after having both experiences, I'm still leaning toward adult. Okay, okay. So we talked a little bit again offline about your clinical experiences and how the clinic works at your school. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then I'm going to get into more questions about your clinic environment. Yeah. So I really like the way that my program's laid out because our whole first year, instead of just having the same client, um, we actually have rotating clinicals, especially because we actually don't have an on-campus site. So everything that we do is off-campus. Um, so it's really nice because you don't have you don't see the same clients. It's all different people. And also you get experience with adult and children and also different types of disorders. Like for example, we had a four week rotation at the Alzheimer's Disease Resource Center. Um, We had a Huntington's Disease Clinic. We had an Autism Spectrum Disorders Clinic. That's just some stuff that I did last semester. So it's just like really cool to like kind of go everywhere and get experience with everything. Yeah. Rather than just be locked into like one client per semester. Great. I totally misunderstood this when we were talking. So I'm really glad we're getting into it. Um, When you're doing those rotations, how many hours are you expected a week to be in clinic? It really depends because per semester too, like I had a really heavy fall semester. And then like right now, obviously once the semester starts, I'll get scheduled for more. But right now I only have two scheduled, whereas some of my friends have like five or six. So there were some weeks I could be getting like closer to like 10 hours and some weeks where I'm only getting like one or two. Oh, okay. That's pretty neat. Are these like easy to access or do you guys have to have a car then while you're in school? 
Definitely have to have a car, especially because our program's actually in Southampton and most of us commute like at least 50 minutes to an hour every day anyways. So some of our clinicals are on Stony Brook main campus. Some of them are out in Southampton. They're kind of scattered all over the place. So definitely you do need some sort of transportation. While you've been doing and seeing all these different types of clients, do you guys get to pick and choose the clients that you go to see or like the rotation or is it just everybody gets access to these? Yeah, so it's, you literally go and whoever's scheduled to have an appointment the day that you're there, that's just who you wind up seeing. And um, especially we go to one at Southampton Hospital and it's kind of like a, they talk to the patients right before the patients come in being like, hi, like I do have students shadowing me today. Like, do you consent? Do you feel comfortable with this? So then like we go in and we watch. So it's, you don't really know who you're going to have until you're there. Okay. Is there any point in your journey where you do have a client that you see consistently? Um, yeah, so the four-week rotation at Alzheimer's Disease Resource, Resource Center, we actually had the same client four weeks in a row, but then we also did group Zooms where like those clients were different. Okay. So that was the only consistent one that I've had so far. Cool. So are you able to write soap notes for all of them? For that one, we just wrote the soap notes for the client that we had. And then what we did was we kind of did like a combined soap note on one person that we picked out of the Zoom Got to just it. focus on the day. That's interesting. I like that. That's funky. Yeah. And what what were your courses last semester? Like, are they, do they resemble the client base that you're seeing? Not entirely. Just because I feel like last semester I had like preschool language disorders, but like I haven't taken a class on like autism spectrum disorder or anything like that yet, but I did have my autism spectrum disorder clinic last semester. Got it. So a lot of the class time, I feel like our professors would go over the exams that we were going to be administering just to prepare us even though it wasn't really like part of the curriculum. And then it was basically just like anatomy, aphasia. Um, my aphasia course was also related disorder. So that was cool because at Stony Brook Hospital, that's where we learned. And like we saw people with aphasia, people with Alzheimer's, all that stuff. That's awesome. So you get to observe that in the hospital there. Yeah. That's really cool. Has there been any situations where you were just like, I didn't know this was something we did and now I'm really interested in that? Or I think that's cool. That's a really good question. I think that when I went to the hospital, I was observing an Alzheimer's session. And obviously, like, I know there's a big cognitive aspect to what we do, but I didn't really know the scope of it going into it. And the patient came in and they had a memory book. And it was just like everything that they did for the week, they would take pictures of, print out, and, like write captions. And then they would go over it like, with the speech pathologist and in my head, I was like, this isn't really like speech, but like, this is the cognitive aspect that like, I feel like not everybody knows about. So it was just like, so cool to see. And like, I, I wanted to cry when I saw it, like, it was so sweet. So yeah. I feel like that was a wow moment for me. Yeah, the cognitive side is really cool, especially because you know so much specifically about the speech side. Everybody really understands the speech side of it. The language is a little dicey. Sometimes you're like, I didn't really recognize that was a receptive deficit. And like, finding out what that looks like and means in someone. But the cognitive yeah. side of it is so cool because sometimes when you're with a TBI client, for example, you're like, am I your assistant or are we working on cognition? Like I'm, I'm, I'm teetering the line, like what am I teaching you versus am I just aiding you? And how do you yeah. manage that? And I feel like that's a really cool experience to have. Definitely. Is there anything that's happened – while you were in grad school that you didn't expect? Like, I know you went to the orientation or the open house and you were still like, oh, I didn't I didn't know this is what was going on. I guess I didn't know that Stony Brook Southampton like had the technology to do like the MB, um, the modified barium sw like swallow studies. Yeah. So every time we go there, we get to like see them in real time. That's really cool. And talk cool. about them. And I feel like that was like a dream come true for me because like they didn't advertise it like at any of the open houses. And like, I only really heard about it just like being on like the speech side of Instagram, like whatever people posted. So like seeing that in person and like getting to talk about it with someone who like really knows like how to like review them and like can go through it slide by slide with you. Like that was something that I was like, oh my God, like I know I made the right choice with this program. Yeah, that's amazing. When you're, since you haven't taken your dysphagia course while you're watching those, are you looking at it? Cause I remember when I didn't know what, an, what it, what I was really looking for, I would be like, oh, that's aspirating versus now I look at it and I'm like thinking about the stages that they're in and also like where it's happening. 
um, or where they might need an improved swallow, what areas they could work on. What are you seeing now before you've taken the class? Like, um, I mean, the first time I watched one, I was like starstruck just because like right away they were like, oh, like he's aspirating right there. And I'm like, where? Like, I'm like, <laughs> I don't look and see us. Like, I don't see it. So I feel like that was cool. Like, I feel like now I know like what to look for. And I think it's really cool seeing like the different strategies that they have you do like before going to the stasia class. Like, obviously, until I got to Southampton, I didn't really know much about the chin tuck. Just like seeing in real time, like the difference that that can make in a person's swallow was really cool to observe. So like, I'm excited to learn more about like the swallowing strategies and stuff like in that class. Yeah, totally. I think it's interesting the way that your your layout is, the layout of your school is set up. Like you're seeing dysphagia, even though you haven't seen or taken the dysphagia course. Are there some challenges that you feel with that? Definitely some challenges just because I felt like the first time I was completely lost. Like luckily, like our supervisors like took the time afterwards, to, like sit down with us and like show us frame by frame. But I also feel like in a way, like it's just you don't really get every experience in grad school anyway. So this is just one of those things that like this could happen to you in the real world where like you're seeing something for the first time that like isn't in the book. So it's just like cool to like get that experience from a supervisor and like almost go into the class like with this like background knowledge of it. What I think is really cool about that is sometimes when you're in a class and you've you've no idea what they're talking about and you've never seen it, it's almost so unrealistic to you that I think having a little bit of these opportunities gives you and that exposure really gives you a great advantage when you're in the classroom. A hundred percent, especially because I feel like I'm a visual learner. So like I can hear about something a million times and like not understand it until I see it. So like really like seeing it and like it lined up perfectly because like in my anatomy class, like obviously we had a whole test on like the larynx, like all of that stuff. So like it was just cool to like see those structures in real time and be like, oh, like the food's here, like it's here now, like just like see it going through everything. It was super cool. What are you excited for for your dysphagia class? That's a, I really like um, neurodegenerative disorders mm -hmm. and like how dysphagia like impacts those like with Huntington's disease and stuff like just stuff like that. So I'm really excited to learn more about like the scope of that and like kind of what I can do to like help that or like obviously it's not always preventative, but just how to like alleviate some of the symptoms. Totally. And what about your motor speech class or sorry, yours is neuromotor. Um. I feel like we haven't learned anything about like apraxia of speech and I always hear about it. So like I'm excited to like kind of like delve into that and like really understand like what's going on like in the brain. Yeah. In yeah. that class, is it adult or is it both children and adult? Like will you learn about the differences between childhood apraxia and adult apraxia or? So I honestly or, don't yeah. know. I assume we will, but I, I have no idea. Yeah, I feel like in ours, we only learned about acquired apraxia of speech, which is okay. super interesting and super cool. And it, it really does present, it does present quite differently than with children, I feel. And I was really fortunate to have an adult with apraxia of speech um, who acquired it later in life as a result of a stroke. So that was really interesting. I'm, I'm jealous that you had this Huntington's experience. Can you tell us more about that? Like, I do not feel like that's something people see a lot in grad school. I feel like I want to preface by saying if you ever do have an experience with a Huntington's clinical, like just be prepared that they're not all of the same age group. Like I did go and I did see like a juvenile case of Huntington's, which was like really shocking and like almost like heartbreaking. Um, but the experience was like really good because we had three patients that day and each patient just so happened to have like a really different um, like pathology of the disorder. So like our first patient that was juvenile had psychiatric symptoms as his first tell. Our second patient had dysphagia. And then our last patient was suffering from like the motor deficits, like the motor speech deficits. So it was really cool to like see the scope of Huntington's disease and like what it really is. And I like wound up like doing like all my projects on that just because I thought it was so interesting. And I feel like everyone I talk to like doesn't really know like what Huntington's disease is. Yeah, that's so cool. Like I, I've really only seen what I've read in textbooks about it or maybe some videos that we saw in class. I've never seen it in person. So that's really cool. And I love that your school gives you guys such great opportunities to see that. 
Now, with your program, have you experienced any challenges and what are some of the greatest rewards of being a grad student? Um, I definitely feel like with every program, there's going to be a lot of challenges. I feel like not having an on-site clinic definitely is challenging just because like our clinicals are kind of all over the place sometimes. And as much as that's a challenge, like I feel like it's a reward because I like love the experience of just like seeing other people and like getting experience in like every sector of speech pathology. Whereas like some programs that have the on-site clinicals, like you don't really branch out from there until your externship. Whereas like, I feel like it's so rewarding because wherever I get placed for my externship, like I, I feel like I have the skills equipped to like adapt mm-hmm. to the situation. So I feel like as much as it's a challenge not having an onsite, it's also probably the greatest reward of the program. You just mentioned your externships and where they place you. Do they place you or do you apply to externships? So it's kind of like you have a meeting with your clinical advisor, you tell them what area you're interested in, where you live, and she really tries to take into account where you live and what you want to do. But obviously, like the medical externships are more competitive than some of the school placements. So you do have to apply and interview for the medical ones, but they will recommend you to those. Oh, that's really great. What year or I guess what semester do you start applying for those? Um, I think we start this semester because we start in the summer with our externships. Okay. And you're hoping to do a medical one, I assume. Is there anything else that's catching your eye? Um, I feel like really just the medical, but I'm kind of into like all the medical settings, like wherever they put me, I feel like I would be happy. I guess if you were placed in like a child medical setting, would you still enjoy that? Like a pediatric setting? Definitely. I just feel like I personally don't see myself working in a school, but I could see myself working in like a private practice or even just like a hospital where I have like caseloads where it could be children and adults. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it is about schools. Like I, I feel like they're great and down the line, like if I want to like settle down, like have summers off and like maybe work per diem, like have a family, like that's like the situation. But I feel like I'm like a very... Like, I like being under pressure, and I feel like the hospital settings and, like, all the medical settings, like, you kind of are under that pressure, like, you're running around. Yeah, so maybe private practice, early intervention, home health, because home health can have some of those really interesting things. Yeah. For sure. You're preparing to get back into another semester of school. What are some of those routines that you do to get yourself back into it before you start? Um, I, like, love writing stuff down like on a calendar or like I have this like little like one dollar like meal planner from Target that like I've just been thinking about because we're there for like long periods of time so I feel like the biggest thing is that I forget to eat mm-hmm. so that's like a routine that I have to get myself back into like really like sit down take the time every week like cook like figure out what I want to eat um I also feel like just trying to wake up a little earlier is <laughs> really important for me because the break like I kind of just sleep whenever Yeah. When it's crunch time. No more midday naps. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I get that. I'm like that too. I'm like, I got to start preparing myself to wake up early and go to bed early. (laughs) Yeah. Like when your mom used to like wake you up before school when you were a kid, (laughs) like two days before I'd have to wake up at like seven. Yeah. I feel like I literally do the same thing now. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Do you have any advice for grad students who are either applying because some of them I guess people would be finishing up applications now so do you have any advice for people who are finishing up applications and or are getting their answers back and making those decisions um I feel like I wish obviously I think people definitely told me to breathe but like now that I'm here I feel like my biggest advice is breathe Mm -hmm. because I feel like I held my breath for months trying to hear back and I also feel like interviews seem a lot more scary than they are and the most important thing during an interview is to just like be true to yourself because I feel like in the profession too like your skills and everything that you bring to the table is just like a reflection of your personality so I feel like in an interview like don't be so robotic like don't have all your answers memorized like show them who you are because I feel like that's who you're going to be as a clinician. Totally did you apply to a lot of different schools? No. (laughs) I was kind of like, if I don't get into Stony Brook, I'm just not going to go to grad school this year kind of thing. But I also applied to Columbia just because I wanted to see if I could get in, if they would give me a scholarship or anything. So it was just those two programs that I applied to. I have a lot of, I know a lot of people who had to apply 
to just the one in their area because they either had families or they needed to live with their family or, you know, other extenuating circumstances, like that's what would work for them. And I, I would have been so nervous just applying to, <laughs> but look at you now, you, you got it. I, I made it. <laughs> you made it. I mean, that's the dream, right? Yeah. Do you have any advice for grad students who are starting out now school? I feel like it's so important to prioritize your mental health, especially when you're just starting. Like, it's a lot. It's definitely a big transition, but I feel like you can't let school ever consume you. Like, don't be afraid to, like, go talk to, like, your teacher or your advisor if you're, like, you feel like you're drowning. I feel like that was the biggest thing. Like, our clinical teacher every week would come in and she would be like, all right, first five minutes of class, like, let's debrief. Like, tell me how you're feeling. Like, if you feel like you're drowning, like, send me an email. Like, talk to me like any challenges and I feel like that was so helpful because there are sometimes like I feel like I got like sidetracked by like assignments and just wanted to do work but I wasn't really like thinking like oh like how am I doing mentally and then once I started to like check in with myself like I feel like everything got easier. How do you prioritize your mental health or what has worked for you? Personally, I was in therapy for a really long time. So I feel like I had like a really good routine going into grad school just because I would see my therapist. Um, But I also feel like self-care and just I really like listening to music, relaxing, you know, like taking an extra hour at the end of the day just to do what I want, like lay down or making time to see my friends, just making sure that I always do something for me at least once a week, I feel like really helped maintain my mental health throughout grad school. Perfect. Okay, I have some silly kind of questions. Right, go. Okay, first is, are you an iPad or computer girly? Both. (laughs) Same. (laughs) (laughs) What do you use your iPad for versus your computer? My computer is like in-class assignments that like I want to type super fast, but my iPad is like I really like downloading um, PowerPoints before class and just instead of taking time typing out everything that they're saying, just writing any additional that isn't already on the slide. I love having my iPad for like if I had to read an article and I yeah, could, like, yeah, highlight yeah. it yeah, or just jot notes down on the side. So that's my that's my, those are my go to's. OK, another yeah. funny one. Are you a front or a back row? Front. Oh, I said the front row of class. <laughs> I cannot relate. <laughs> I did it the first day of class because I kept telling myself if I sit in the back row, like my phone will creep up on me. Whereas like if I'm in the front, like I'm going to have discipline and it wound up just working for me. Okay. Okay. I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. Okay. Another one. Do you go to class in sweats or looking cute? Sweats. Sweats all the way. Totally yeah. agree. Okay, another one. Are you more likely to listen to a podcast on your way to class or clinic, or are you more likely to listen to music? Music. Music, (laughs) totally. Like, no shot at anything else. (laughs) There was a few days I tried listening to the Alex Earl podcast, and it was really good. It's just, like, I feel like I get so into it that, like, I can't be on the road listening to a podcast. Like, it's an accident risk for myself. Are you a coffee or a smoothie in the morning kind of person? Coffee. Coffee. Okay. Do you eat breakfast or no breakfast? It depends how late I am running out the door. Fair enough. And then one more. These are just fun little things. No, I love I was that. Like, this will be fun to kind of just chat. Okay. Are you a make your bed in the morning or just get the heck out of there? Get the heck out. <laughs> I totally, I am definitely a wake up early enough to make my bed kind of person. I don't know why. I like honestly my bed would not have been made if we didn't have this. (laughs) Fair enough. So we talked a little bit about what you're looking forward to in this upcoming semester. Is there anything that you are nervous about this semester? I guess I'm nervous because last semester a lot of it was more like guided observation whereas now like we're expected to you know actually like do the oral mechs and like do a lot more. So I'm definitely a little nervous because I feel like it's one thing to watch, but it's another thing to do. Fair. That is very fair. I actually think it's so much easier to do because you know you can get corrected and you're more like, like, I feel like when you're observing, it's a lot easier to start to trail off in your head 
or while you're observing, you're like, oh, I would do this. But when you're actually in the moment, I think what you're going to, how you're actually going to handle the situation is going to be different. And I think it will be really fun to look back and reflect on things that you thought you would have done too. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. That, that makes me feel better. <laughs> and when someone's telling you something to correct, it's more salient because you're like, okay, I see that I did that. Yeah. Like I noticed my biggest and best piece of advice that I got. And now it just sits with me through all of my clients is let there be dead space and don't use filler words because when someone is either learning language or they're recapturing language, those filler words make things really difficult. Yeah. And you don't realize you have so many filler words until you're like really listening to yourself. Or even if you record, like if you ask to record a session with a client, it's really fun to record those moments and hear what, how you sound back. Cause then when you're getting feedback and you go back and listen, you're like, oh, I see it. I hear it. Yeah. So those are. Do you have sound capture? No. What is that? Um, so we have, instead of an onsite, we have like a simulation room. So we have like a simulation dummy and like he has a little microphone and like our professor like can like talk to us through it. And that's how we kind of like, we have two simulations per semester. Ooh. So Sim Capture lets your professor like record the simulation. You can go back and you can watch it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I feel like the most helpful advice that she gave me, she was like, slow down. Yeah. Because if you're dealing with someone that like has some like receptive language deficits or even like just anything going on, like if you're just talking so fast and rambling, like they're not going to understand a single thing that you're saying. Totally. I feel like that's something that comes with a lot of time because so many speeches and so many people I talk to on the podcast are like, as a speechy, we just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and we love to chat. So for us to want to be in interviews, people are like, I love it because I can talk for hours. But then when they're with their clients, they have to remember to hold back and yeah. let them have their opportunities, things like that. Yeah, I feel like that was definitely like, not like a slap in the face, but like if she didn't tell me that, like, I, I don't know where I'd be because like <laughs> every time I hear like her voice in my head, like she told me like at the top of your paper, like write down in like capital letters, like slow down just to remind yourself because... I feel like a lot of people when they get nervous too, especially me, I speak so fast when I'm nervous and like I ramble. (laughs) So it was just so helpful to be like, okay, like just take a breath and just speak at their pace. That's what she said. Like whatever pace that they're speaking to you in, replicate it. Yeah, I had had a very similar advice one time, which was Um, sometimes your client's energy or your patient's energy will get up and escalate and escalate and you don't want to match their energy. You want to be just below their energy and help bring them back to a level position at baseline. And I was like, that is a great way to think about it because I do. I totally match people's energy and it does not always work. (laughs) Yeah. Not always the best. For your externships, do they co-occur with school? Like, are you in classes as well? Yeah. And are you expected to do 40-hour externships then? A week? I think so, yeah. Okay. And then you do classes at night? Yeah. Would they be in person or virtual? I think that a lot of them are in person. It's kind of like split. Like, I feel like some days we're off campus, some days we're on campus. Gotcha. And have you, I know this is a a crazy question because you're in your first year and first year you still have all the energy, but have you thought about the praxis yet? (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, I had not at that point either at all. I was like, "Mm, that's another day problem. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Yeah, I've... I agree with that. Don't think about it until it's time. It is not scary like everyone says. That's good. That that makes me feel better. Yeah, I felt pretty good. So good. Um, I'm sure you'll feel good, especially if you're a front row person. I cannot relate. <laughs> <laughs> For your graduate school experience, and you had talked a lot about prioritizing your mental health, are there ways that you felt supported by your university or are there things people who are getting ready to go into grad school should look for from their university for those supports? 
Yeah, I feel like I just got really lucky with some of the professors I have. Like they kind of have like an open door policy, like come to me if you ever need anything. Like they do check-ins with us. We have clinical advisement once a semester, which I feel like is really nice because we really just get to like sit down and talk and go over how we're feeling and like touch upon like our goals for the future. Um, Stony Brook also offers a lot of like mental health services. Like we have this thing called um, CAPS. I forget what it stands for. Yeah, ours is the same. (laughs) You get like 10 free therapy sessions through it. Um, They have online resources for it. We also have this new app called Timely Care which instead of going to the doctor, like you log your symptoms and then a doctor calls you and can kind of like prescribe you medicine, like based on how you're feeling, like recommend you for tests. So it's another really helpful thing. Like if you're really sick and in bed and you don't really feel like getting up, just going on the app is really That's really cool. I like how they give you those supports. And I, I feel like one of the things that really changes from grad school to undergrad is that type of support, including the mental health component where teachers just they feel like they you, you have a better connection, you know them better, so you feel like you can ask for a little bit more. Are there other differences that you've noticed, especially since they came so close together between grad and undergrad? Um, I feel like just having such a, like a small cohort, um, I'm like friends with most people. Like I feel like our whole cohort's really close, which is really nice because we kind of all like support each other too which like in undergrad, like I feel like you'd have a few people where like you never really knew them, you never really talked to them. Like I was kind of more to myself, but I see the same people. I have the same exact assignments, same exact classes as like the same 26 other people. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that like kind of, it's like a greater sense of community in grad school than it was in undergrad. Totally. Did you know anybody from undergrad who went to grad school with you? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You knew two people? I knew a few, some of them, like I wasn't really like super close with anyone, but it kind of made the first day easier because I was like, oh, like I know you even the slightest bit, come sit with me. Yeah. How big is your cohort? 26 or 27 people, I think. Yeah. Have you felt, are you the kind of person who gets like really close to the people in your class or are you like school and life are separate? Um, I love getting close to the people in my class. I feel like, like one of my best friends that I hang out with all the time is from class. I love that. I, I, it's the same way. <laughs> love that for you. So have you guys been able to leave and complain about things together? Every or day. Every day. That's like I'm the best. I'm a big phone call person too. So I feel like every time I'm driving home because it's so long, like I'm just like cycling through, like calling like the same three friends and being like, all right, let's debrief class today. Totally. And you're just like, what was that? Literally. Like every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Do you guys get to study together? Yeah, so I feel like because campus is so far away, a lot of times, like, you either stay after class or you get there super early just to get stuff done, and I feel like everyone else does it too, so it's nice, and also sometimes I carpool with my one friend, so, like, we get to, like, hang out, we get to study. That's awesome. Do you have any studying advice? Now that you're done with the first semester, which traditionally is the hardest and the worst one only because you just don't really know what to expect have you come up with any study tips or any good advice for people who are getting ready I feel like before grad school I wasn't big oh my god what's the word like mnemonics oh yes I wasn't big on those and I feel like that like got me through this semester and I also feel like as much as I love taking notes like on my iPad and everything like for me, there's nothing like sitting down with like some loose leaf paper and just writing everything out because I feel like it really helps with like the memory of it all. Mm-hmm. And then I make my mom sit on my bed and like quiz me on everything that I wrote. And that like worked. <laughs> like, I feel like I did really well. And like I'd be sitting down, like taking a test and being like, what page was this on? Like I remember it like I could see it in my head. Mm-hmm. So far, what have been the harder classes for you? I feel like my anatomy class was hard just because I had to really put in the work for that class because some people like had really anatomy heavy undergrad experiences whereas like me like I took one anatomy class and it was like an asynchronous like summer class where it was just like easy online quizzes Mm -hmm. so it was not more like it wasn't a review like our first test was supposed to be a review and it was me being like oh I don't even know what half of this stuff is. I'm sure a lot of people felt the same way. Don't don't yeah. put too much pressure on yourself. <laughs> um, so then to that end, what are the types of tests that your teachers and professors were giving to you? Were they like um, all different so, types? 
Not really. I feel like all my tests were multiple choice with like maybe like an extra credit that was open-ended and everything else was really just like projects and assignments. Were your tests online or were they in person? For my online class, it was on Respondus online. And then for my anatomy class, the tests were in person. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like they always do that with anatomy. Yeah. So like if it's online, we know it'll be easy. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it was weird because I feel like once like the pandemic happened at Stony Brook, like all tests are online. Because you're a COVID, you're a COVID student. <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like going into it, like I, that was probably the first in-person exam I've taken in such a long time. Yeah. I no, I remember, uh, well, I had been out of school for so long, like seven years. So when I went back and I had an in-person test, which to be fair, I had always had in-person tests because it was yeah. seven years before. Actually, I never had an online test before that, so that's kind of funny. But I remember having my in-person test and being, like, so intimidated, so nervous. Also, like, what is the value in this? It's hard for everyone. Hard for me to take. Hard for you to grade. So unnecessary. (laughs) I feel like I, like, get stressed out, too, because I'm one of those people that, like, I got so used to, like, you know, like looking around everywhere, like when I'm thinking and like now when I'm back in person, I'm like, oh my God, the teacher's totally gonna think I'm like cheating if I look around everywhere. Like I kind of just like sit there with my head down the whole time. It's so funny because you'll get to the point where you've like finished the test or you're really close to being done and you look up and everyone's still taking it and you're like, oh, well, should I be done with this yet? So then you just start looking around because you feel like you should be not done yet and, and yeah. you're waiting. You don't want to be the first one to turn in. So you're just kind of looking around, but then you look like you're cheating. So you start looking down, but then you're looking at your feet and then you're looking at your friend and you're like, oh no, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. What I started doing is I started going back and when I saw that like I was done and other people wasn't, I would just write out like why my answers were right. Oh, just, I, like, I do that time. too. <laughs> All the time. I'm like, yeah. this can't be right. And I'll underline the word that's wrong. And I'm like, I underline, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wrong. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'll write why. I'm like, no, this isn't there. <laughs> yeah. That's a great technique, though, yeah. for when you're studying also for the praxis. Like, that means you know the information. You're not just like, mm, yeah. that doesn't feel right. So let's jump into some of your social media stuff. Okay. Because that's how I found <laughs> you. What inspired you to create a social media account? And then how did it come together for you? I was sitting in a cafe with my friend who was launching her small business and like I was like big on Canva and I was like should I just like make an Instagram for grad school and I like found out that it was like a really big thing like I didn't really know much about it like I obviously like followed like speaking of semantics like SLP resume but until I made the account I didn't really understand how big like the speechy community was. Yeah it's quite huge. Yeah like I had no idea and it's been really cool like I don't have like that many followers, but every time I get a new follower, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> here we go. I know. It's so cool. You're like, oh, they're following my journey. Yeah. So what do you hope to achieve with that presence then? I don't know. Like I kind of feel like I shifted it. Like from the beginning, I was making more like speechy based posts, but now it's more of like a like a whole like overall journey because I kind of wanted to like showcase like there's more to grad school than just being a student. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's like my mantra in life. Like I never want to just be a student. So I feel like I kind of want to show like everything that I do, but like also showcase like the cool stuff of grad school. And I'm also like a big foodie. So I love taking pictures of like food that I eat and just like sharing it everywhere. You got to post all about the food. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you, you have your meal prep that you're getting ready for this Yeah, semester. I know. I wanted to get those cute heart bowls from Target just so I could take Oh my gosh, they're so cute. I saw they're those. They're so cute. <laughs> I, was, I was literally just texting my roommate who I lived with in grad school. So I'm done with my classes. So now I'm, okay. I'm not really there. Um, and so I was texting my old roommate and I was like, I saw these at Target and, you know, if we lived together, we would have bought these. <laughs> like if it was still us, but now I'm living with yeah. my fiance and I'm like, boys just aren't as fun. They don't want they the heart-shaped bowls. They don't, <laughs> they don't want the Valentine's Day decorations. Literally. They don't feel like I need those. They like don't I spent five- need... Go ahead. Go ahead. I spent $5 on like, you can see it in the background. It's like the little like donut and coffee that are holding oh, your hand. Yes. We and have like the avocado like, version. Yeah, like I was like, I need this. Like, 100%. You absolutely need it. Now I'm like, I bought refrigerator organizers and he's like, I mean, it looks nice, yeah. but was it necessary? Yes. I'm like, you kind of need it. Self-care. 
I need all of these beautiful things. I need my exactly. I need my food to be in a heart to tell me it loves me back. <laughs> I also saw that you have some merch. You had some stickers that you made and I love yeah. that for you. Thanks. Yeah. When did you decide to start designing? Um it was really like I don't even know when I started Canva. I think it was like for one project and then I was just like I need a new hobby and I started making stuff and I was like, "Oh, this actually looks pretty good." Like this is cool. And like, I, I love Redbubble. Like I always buy from Redbubble. So I was like, oh, like, what if I tried to make my own stickers? And it took me a while, but like now, like, I feel like I sell a few a week, which is really cool. That's awesome. I love the one that you have. It's like a space, it's like a space and they're like walking on top. I can't remember what it was said. Yeah. No, um, oh. no, it was, <laughs> I have to find it. No, I have to find it's it. Like because on it's like on a skateboard and yes. space. Yeah. It's so freaking cute. I was like, Guys, we all need this in our lives. Hold on. <laughs> Let me find it. Find your balance. Yeah, like, I love him. So cute. Thank I was like, you. I'm gonna need to get that because I'm getting a new computer. Love that. So I need my new speechy stickers. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to share, or any other advice that you want to give? Um, I feel like I have a different background than a lot of like speech pathology students too. I'm a bartender, like I still am. And I feel like just working in that industry has prepared me so much for being a speech pathologist and just like a clinician because one, like I feel like I have like the good experience where like my whole job is basically just talking to people. So like, I feel like at clinicals, like I'm not nervous. Like I know how to like start up a conversation, like how to keep a conversation going, like active listening skills. But also I feel like it prepared me for like those instances where like somebody says something like a little off, like if they're unhappy, like I feel like because I'm like at the bar, like I deal with like drunk people a lot, like I hear a lot of comments, like I really have to like mediate a lot of situations. So I feel like that really prepared me. So I feel like even though it's like not like I didn't shadow like a, like a speech pathologist or like have observation hours, like I feel like that job really prepared me. So I recommend like a, a job in like the food industry before going to grad school. Yeah. Has it been hard to do that while you're in grad school? I gave up my shifts, but like I still cover here and there. So like anytime somebody needs coverage, it's really not hard because it's like five or six hours that I'm working and bartending is like a good enough job where like I can make a good amount of money and be okay. And like, obviously, like I try to save as much as I can, but I mean, it's definitely hard not having a shift anymore, but I, I just work somewhere where they still want me to cover. So it's nice. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, as semesters go on and feel a little bit easier and you learn to navigate like my first semester I had a job and it was terrible so my next semester I was like I can't have a like such a strict job I need like very simple job where I just work once a week and then I went into like working yeah a lot in my last semester in my last two semesters so it's good to just have that versatility Yeah, I feel like having a flexible job, if you are going to have a job in grad school, is like so important, too, because I feel like for me and my program, at least, like they schedule meetings and like clinicals like out of like you don't get that much of a heads up sometimes. Yeah, it's nice. Or like I have a job where I'm like, oh, like I have to come in like half an hour late or like, oh, like can somebody cover me this day? Like where it's not like super strike corporate or anything. Mm -hmm. It's been really helpful. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so let's just jump into our wrap-up section. This question is my wrap-up section only for grad students. So what is your dream job if you can pick your perfect setting? I would be a speech pathologist in a hospital working with um, inpatient and outpatient. Okay, I love that. A little mix. Yeah. Uh, that's. I also was like, that's my dream when I first was in grad when I was in my first year of grad school too. Now I'm that's still not sure. I don't really know. I feel like I thought I knew, like, it's not that I don't know. I think I thought I knew a lot more about what things would feel like when I was in it. But if you don't really, if you haven't really done it, I've changed my perspective because I haven't done any of it. So I don't want to jump into what I think my future should be without having context for it. So once I have my externship at the hospital that I'm doing starting in March, I think I'll have a better understanding of how I would pick things for myself and what I would want to do and come up with a better reality. But I have learned from my current 
externship that I do not believe I would want to be in a school. <laughs> okay. That's good though that you're going to get like all the experience for it because I feel like you could want something really bad and then you're in it and it might not be what you were thinking. Yeah, I, a lot of people were giving advice since I've been on the podcast, don't count anything out until you try it. No yeah. one's experience is exactly how yours is. And yeah. so I always knew I liked the medical side of it, but I really wanted to give everything a fair shot. And so I of did course. a very different type of school. I'm not in a school that's like, I, I'm not at a pub, at a public school. I'm okay. at a school that's all push in. So we're just in the classroom at all times. And 15% of the students are deaf and hard of hearing. So okay. it's a very unique situation. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to be at not a very traditional public school. And I still wouldn't. I don't think I would do it. Okay. I feel like I'm kind of the same way. Like my program offers tracks where like you don't have to get your teaching certification, but I just didn't want to go into it like closed minded, Mm -hmm. especially because if I want to work in a private practice, like it could come in handy. So I feel like that's like a really good piece of advice. Like don't count anything out until you try it, like go into everything with an open mind. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really did like some experiences I didn't think I would like. And so I liked them. I don't, I didn't love them but I liked them enough. And so I wanted to give everything a fair shot for sure. Yeah. What is your go-to movie, book, or TV series that you consume when you need a mood boost? A mood boost? <laughs> I love Criminal Minds, which might not sound like the best mood boost show, but I feel like I just like, it kind of takes me away from reality for a little bit. I also love Ted Lasso. Like, I feel like if I actually needed to like be happy, I would watch Ted Lasso. I love that. That's like my good place. Yeah. Oh my god, I will have a good place on all the time. It just my brother loves that show. It's so good. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so also, funny. I just watched um Anyone But You in theaters, and once that comes out on streaming, a hundred percent that will be like my happy movie. What is which one is that? It's with um Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell. It was a rom com. It like literally just came out in theaters. Oh, yes. So yes. Good. I was like, I know I've heard of this. Yeah, I. they have had lots of press for that movie. Yeah, like insane. So and honestly, much. like I thought it was going to be so overhyped going into the movie, but I was like sitting there like smiling, kicking my feet the whole time. Okay, <laughs> I guess I'll have to watch it. Marco, date night. <laughs> okay, I love that. I'm going to have to go see it because we were literally just talking about going to the movies. Um, <laughs> and then the last question is, where can our listeners find and follow you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at specie.sam. Perfect. And we will absolutely link that here. Sam, thank you so much for coming on today. This was so fun. I love talking about the grad experience. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun too. Yeah, it was great. And everyone else will catch you next week. Thank you all so much for listening to Speeching It Real. Please help us reach a bigger audience by rating us five stars and dropping a review. You can contact me anytime on Instagram at speechingitreal or via email at speechingitreal at gmail.com. You can reach out with any questions, comments, or recommendations.